Chapter 7 of Carpenter's World Travels Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter 7 Totem Indians and Their Customs. In southeastern Alaska, a curious survival of the old Indian customs is seen in the totem poles which the natives used to put up before each house and often covered the graves of the chiefs and heads of families these totem poles are neither tombstones nor idols and they were never regarded as such by the indians they are tribal crests or coats of arms of which the natives are as proud as are the nobility of europe of their emblems of heraldry the indian can read the story of a totem pole as easily as we read a newspaper he knows just what each sign means and where the tribal sign ends and the individual signs begin the totem in front of a house tells him not only who lives there but also the story of the owner's ancestors similar crests are used on baskets on moccasins and in carvings of wood stone and copper if a native had a letterhead he would probably print some of these signs on the top of the sheet one of the former curators of the sheldon jackson museum at sitka says that the totem pole was invented by the haida indians and that it was of three different kinds one kind was erected in front of a house this had the figures of different animals and represented the totems of a family and their relatives another was called the death totem this was often a hollow mortuary post which contained the ashes of the dead and was sometimes erected over the grave a third class of totem poles was put up by the haidas to memorialize remarkable events these totems were historical records and their story was told by series of carved figures, a sort of picture writing. The Haidas were divided into three classes, the rich, the middle classes, and the slaves. The slaves were never allowed to erect poles in front of their dwellings, and the higher the pole, as a general rule, the richer and more aristocratic the owner. The totem poles about the dwellings of the Indians range in height from that of a man to that of a four-story house. They are carved out of solid tree trunks, and some of the larger ones are valued at several thousand dollars apiece. Many of them are beautifully carved, their ugliness being that of design rather than execution. Most of the carvings are of animals and birds. The house poles indicate to which of the two great families of southeastern Alaska the inmates belong. These are known as the eagle and the crow. Each has its subdivisions, which are shown by subtotems. To the eagle family belong the subdivisions of the bear, wolf, shark, whale, and others. And to the crow family belong the seals, frogs, salmons, and beavers. There are numerous other subdivisions, but they all belong either to the eagles or the crows. According to the unwritten law of these Indians, a husband and wife cannot be of the same tribal family. A Miss Crow must always expect to marry a Mr. Eagle. It is perfectly proper for her to unite with the shark, whale, wolf, or bear, where they all go back to the eagle family, but she cannot marry a salmon, seal, frog, or beaver who descend from the crow. Some branches of the family so divided are much more aristocratic than others, and a woman who marries beneath her is considered to have disgraced her family. She is more despised than an English duchess who marries a shopkeeper, and at her death, her relatives will not chip in for as costly a funeral as though she had married in her own class. A daughter of one of the brown bear divisions 
would be shamed by a marriage with the son of the mouse or the snail, while the crows and eagles at the top of the genealogical tree can marry only one another. Another curious thing is the high position that woman has always held among these Indians. She rules the family. No bargain is made, no journey is undertaken, no important thing done without consulting her. On the totems, the emblem of the wife is at the very top of the pedigree pole, and the totem of the husband comes lower down. Any Indian, on seeing the totem pole, can tell the family of the mother and knows that it rules the house. If he belongs to the same family, he is sure to be welcome, but otherwise he thinks a while before he risks stopping. I am told that most of these Indian families were founded by women. The Bear family started with the chief's daughter, who, according to the legend, was out one day with some other girls picking strawberries. A great bear came up, and all of the girls but the chief's daughter ran away. She put her hands on her hips and laughed at him. Thereupon the bear ran after the other maidens and killed them. He fell in love with the girl who had scorned him and made her his wife. The fruit of the union was a child, half girl and half bear, who became the maternal ancestor of all the natives now belonging to the bear totem. Another story tells how a family originated with a female grizzly bear, and a third of how a woman founded the tribe of woodworms. The Indians love a fine funeral. They will take what they have and borrow more from their friends to spend in making a great show. They put the favorite possessions of the deceased with the body and clothing and bedding alongside the coffin. After the funeral is over, they give a great feast in honor of the departed, eating the food which is supposed to nourish his spirit as it goes to the other world. In southeastern Alaska, it rains so much and the soil is so shallow that the Indians do not bury their dead in graves, but put them in little wooden vaults that look like tiny houses set upon poles. In the early days, before the coming of the missionaries, many of these Indians burned their dead, depositing their ashes in hollow poles. Among some of the tribes, the ashes and bones left after the cremation of a body were put into a sack, which was kept in the family dead house. Indeed, these and other customs myths and folklore of the alaskan indians are so interesting that our government should put its scientists to work gathering a record of them before it is too late we need some such work in alaska as frank cushing did among the zunis and james mooney among some of the indian tribes of the west what we have concerning the natives of alaska comes largely from missionaries and from ivan petroff who wrote a great part of the census of eighteen eighty Mr. Livingston F. Jones lived for 20 years among the Thlingets and got his information concerning them at first hand. His book, A Study of the Thlingets of Alaska, gives legends of the crow, deer, and other families, and includes traditions of many of the tribes. The whale family, for example, is said to have originated from an Indian boy who amused himself by carving images of whales out of cedar and sailing them upon the waters. One day, one of his cedar whales expanded before his eyes and turned into a real live whale, which swam away. From this fact, his parents knew he would become a great chief, and he did not disappoint them, for he founded the whale tribe, branches of which are scattered throughout southeastern Alaska. The Thlingets have legends concerning the origin of man and telling how the sun, the moon, and the stars came to be. According to their story of the flood, 
all the men and animals were destroyed with the exception of a raven this raven was a sort of witch bird he could change himself at will and put his feathers off or on like a garment when the flood had gone down he looked about for a mate of his own kind but could find none at last he took a cockle shell from the beach and called it his wife by and by he heard a faint cry from the shell like that of a baby the noise grew louder and louder and at last a little female child came out this child married the raven and from the two came all of the indians of this part of the world and so the country was peopled the raven is held sacred among the thlingets who in the past considered him a god he was known as yell the creator of the world he was the benefactor of mankind and enjoyed the greatest respect his power was unlimited he put sun moon and stars in their places and from him came man animals and plants before he was born the world was dark but with him came light few people realize the change that has been brought about among these indians through the work of the missionaries and the bringing in of our civilization cannibalism was common along the coast of british columbia when father duncan came slavery existed among the thlingets at the time we took possession of the territory and ivan petroff in his report for the government on the condition of these indians in eighteen eighty said that able-bodied slaves were slaughtered on festive occasions and that it was not uncommon for a rich man or chief to have slaves killed and buried with him in order that he might have servants in the spirit land there are indians living in alaska today who were slaves in their youth and it is said that children are looked down upon by the families which have always been free the slaves were of two classes those captured in warfare and those born into bondage the children of slaves became slaves in turn waited upon their masters did all sorts of menial work and were cruelly treated not infrequently they were sacrificed to emphasize the power and wealth of an owner who thus showed that he could afford to destroy such valuable property before the missionaries came polygamy prevailed today marriages are usually held in the churches monogamy is common and even the chiefs seldom have more than one wife in the past some of the heads of the tribes had as many as twenty wives a russian authority speaks of a man on the nass river who had forty in such cases the first wife ruled the harem child marriages used to be common and even now marriages take place at an early age one of the old thlingit customs was to pen up the girls in some out-of-the-way place as they reached the marriageable age a wooden coop or jail was made for the maiden where she was kept for from four months to a year there was no light in the coop except what filtered through the cracks so that when the door was open the girl came out pale and wan and supposedly humble and ready for marriage the marriages were usually arranged by the relatives and the girls were carefully restrained from making any advances to the men mr livingston jones says that infanticide was not uncommon twins were considered bad luck and were often killed at birth the usual method of killing babies was to stuff their mouths with moss or grass and they were usually carried into the woods to be put to death this was done by the women generally the relatives of the mother mr jones tells some queer stories of how the natives received the white man's civilization when they first saw a steamboat they thought it was a demon and took to the woods they called it a fire canoe and thought it might bring some terrible disease such as smallpox 
To ward off the danger, they pulled up certain native vegetables, which they held below their eyes as they looked at the steamboat. They went wild over the phonograph when it came and paid a quarter to hear a single tune. When the first Negro came north, they advanced all kinds of theories as to what made him black, and when they saw a man with a wooden leg, they regarded him with great wonder. Another curiosity was a man who had a wig, which he put on and off, and a still greater marvel was a storekeeper who had a set of false teeth. The Indians flocked to the store, and their amazement knew no bounds when they saw him take out of his mouth a set of uppers, gums and all, and then replace them. The natives came in from many miles around to see the wonderful sight, and the storekeeper found his set an excellent business getter. End of chapter 7